All right, good morning. I think you guys can hear me. Getting the sound adjusted there. It's good to see you guys this morning. Everybody's here. We're in the house of the Lord, singing songs about the Lord. Our favorite songs, I always say our favorite songs with our favorite people from our favorite book. It doesn't get much better than that. Hopefully it's your favorite day. It's my favorite day uh, of the week to be with you guys. And, and I say this before, I, I need to hear you guys sing. It's an encouragement to me uh, after uh, a long week um, to be together. I know you guys feel the same way to have one another and to have that time of fellowship one, with one another and uh, to be in the Word of God. Last week, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to serve Snohomish Community Church uh, at a marriage retreat. Uh, we were we had to go to Whistler to do it. I mean, it was horrible. I mean, yeah, I, I know, I know. It was, you know, sometimes you got to serve the Lord in difficult places, and um, we just happened to be Whistler last week, and uh, but we had a great time uh, up there, and uh, we're able to teach three different times to um, uh, some of the married couples up there on uh, identity in marriage, uh, the sufficiency of Christ in marriage, and then on the grace of God in marriage, and uh, so had a good time there, but uh, I will say this, I, I missed you guys. You guys are uh, uh, my favorite people to open up God's word with, and uh, they were just a substitute for the weekend, uh, and they were great, and they were wonderful, but you guys are uh, the ones that I love, and I pour my heart out to every week, and I missed you guys about 12, 12 o'clock. I texted Shay and Jonah. I said, hey, how'd it go? How are things going down there? Because I was thinking about you guys, and Thankful to Shay for uh, bringing uh, the Word of God, teaching about, teaching about the new birth in Christ, and hopefully that was an encouragement to you, even the song that we sang, uh, just kind of even put that together about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, coming back, um, I was asked to, someone said to me, why don't you teach us what you taught them up there? And I thought, I can do that, and I feel like that is appropriate because uh, many of you have, are wondering and have said to me, hey, uh, why don't you bring back what you said to them to our own people and teach that, them what you said to uh, teach us, what, what, they, what we said to them, what I said to them last week. And so I plan to do that this morning. I want to talk about our identity in God and how that informs our purpose in our marriage this morning. But before we do that, I do want to mention this because I was not able to mention it last week, and that is to just say one thing. I only want to say one thing about the war that is happening in Israel, as maybe some of you are wondering what my thoughts are on that. Uh, and I, I just have one thought for, for this morning on this, and that is this. Uh, this is not the first time uh, that God has seen Israel in a war. This is part of what God does to bring back his son, Jesus Christ. And so, church, everything is going according to plan. Everything. The nations pointing their missiles at Israel, it's all going to plan. And we're not going to trust horses. We're not going to trust chariots. We're certainly not going to trust the government. Uh, we're going to trust the Lord who has seen this since the very beginning. War in Israel is not new to God. This is what he does. And it's all part of his plan to bring back his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to redeem his people. And so, church, we are on the winning side because God is the one who wins in the end. And we are God's people, and we are his children. We're going to talk a little about this this morning. And so we need not fear uh, what tomorrow holds. We need not fear 
uh, about what the future holds, we trust the Lord in this. He's proven himself every single time to be faithful and true, and he's going to do it again uh, this time around. And so that's where we place our thoughts. We want to go down the rabbit trail of what's going to happen next and what does this look like and, and all these things. And we hop on Twitter and Facebook, and all that does is just make us nervous because we don't even know what's real and true anymore when we hop on those, those places, right? But we have to get back to what we do know, and that is this. God is sovereignly in control. And he sovereignly rises up nations, and he sovereignly destroys nations, and he sovereignly brings together nations. And at the end, his son, Jesus Christ, is going to come back. And it's to that that we look forward to. Amen? All right. That's all I'm going to say about this. Oh, no, okay, two things. The second thing is this, what we can do about it. I know, I get up here and I just start talking. I get it. You guys are used to it. The second thing is we can do this, all right? You're like, what can I do? What can I do? You can pray, all right? That's what you can do. And you can pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for the believers there. Pray for those who had churches who had church today in a bunker, right? We should be praying. Our hearts should go, be going out. Look at us. We're in this beautiful building. The sun is shining through the windows. They're hiding in bunkers, having church, and we can be praying for, for those believers. We could, we could be praying that, that evil would, would be overcome uh, uh, happening over there right now. We can be praying for the Lord to return quickly. It'll be a great day. We sing these songs about the Lord coming back. I hope you believe that and want that. Maranatha, right? Lord, come quickly. Come back and redeem us. Get us off of this earth. Are you kidding me? We want you reigning. So we can be praying, praying for those things. All right. Open up your Bible to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to talk about our identity in Christ and how our identity informs our purpose. How our identity informs our purpose for you who are not married, it informs your purpose. Uh, for you who are single, for you who are married, it informs your purpose in your marriage. So this is uh, for all of us this morning. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and talk about it. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Heavenly Father, right there, what a blessing. Our Bible's open, just sitting right there on our lap. What a privilege it is to open up the word of God and to hear from you. Or may we not take these moments, these days, these opportunities for granted. But may we be all in with wanting to know you more. Wanting to grow closer to you. Want to be in fellowship with the believers. So we're thankful we get to open up your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us. You would inform our minds. You would change our will. Because ultimately, Lord, we want to be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And help us to do that. This morning, we do pray for Israel. We do pray for peace in Israel. We do pray for the believers that are there. Guide and protect them. May your grace be upon them. And Lord, we do pray that you would come back quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just this week, many of you received an email uh, that was not from me. Um, in fact, you might have received lots of emails that were not from me, and I know this. Because well over 100 of you let me know that this was the case. 
or my wife know that this was the case. I am not asking for uh, gift cards. Uh, I am not asking for money, nor am I a prince in Egypt or anywhere else in Africa asking you uh, for money. Somebody stole or took or tried to take my identity. And just so you know, that is not who I am. I am not that person. Uh, please check the emails of your laughing because you're the one who responded to me saying, hey, if you need help, let me know. I'm, I'm right there for you. Hey, that happens. It's, it's, it's an easy thing to fall in that trap. But that is not who I am. Uh, I am a child of God. I am uh, someone who tries to live my life to the glory of God. Uh, I am not someone who tries to scam people out of money or trying to take their money uh, or a gift card. If you didn't get that email, you're on the be blessed because you did not receive all these, these emails. Uh, consider yourself blessed for that. But that's not who I am. Your identity is important, right? Who you say you are is important. When you answer the question, who am I, that is important. But even more than that, the question that I want us to think about is not who am I, but the question is this, whose am I? Who do I belong to? And the reason for that is this, is that our belonging always informs our believing and our believing always informs our behavior. So you're saying to me, Joe, if I want to change my behavior, then I need to go all the way back to remind myself who I belong to. That's exactly what I'm saying. Who you belong to and who you say you belong to will inform your belief system, your convictions, which will then inform your behavior and your conduct. So we got to get back down to the root of this. We don't just change our behavior on the surface level. We don't just stand up here and say, hey, let me give you 10 ways to have a happy life. Let me give you five ways to have a happy marriage. Let me give you 10 ways to not be sad anymore and to get the most out of your life. No, we go back to this question. Whose do I belong to? To whom do I belong to? Because if you understand who you belong to, then your convictions are going to change and your behavior is going to change. And this is exactly what, what Peter does for us. He lets them know that their belonging is going to determine their purpose in life. And because you are a child of God, and if, if you are a child of God, and if you are in Christ, then you have a new purpose, you have a new belonging, you have a new reason to live on this earth. And when Peter wrote this letter, and he was writing down here in chapter 2, he wrote this letter reminding the people of their identity in Christ, reminding them of who they belonged to because these people were getting persecuted, these people were, were suffering, they were hurting, they did not have an earthly home, they were sojourners, they were exiles, and they needed to be reminded of who they belonged to because that would best inform their behavior. Their new birth in Christ would be the foundation then for the way they would endure suffering, for the way they would endure hardship. And they needed to be re reminded of this. They belong to God. Now listen, this is also the foundation for the Christian life. It is also the foundation for a healthy marriage. You want to have a healthy marriage? You start here with this, I belong to God. 
That's the opening statement. I belong to God. I want you to know that I belong to God. And because I belong to God, that's going to inform all my convictions. That's going to form all my beliefs. And out of those beliefs and out of those convictions are going to form all of my behaviors and all of my conduct. It gets sideways when someone in the marriage says, I belong to the world, or at least they act like they belong to the world. I belong to my job and everything's filtered through my job. How many hours I work, how I have social life, how I, how I do church, all that's filtered through work. You belong to work, you're going to act like you belong to work. You belong to the world, you're going to act like you belong to the world. You belong to God, you're going to act like you belong to God. And so we have to understand and we have to start here with our identity because our identity gives us purpose. Now let me give to you, and what I want to give to you now right out of this text, in 1 Peter 2, in, in verse 9, is this. I want to give you four descriptive titles of our identity in Christ, and then there's a single purpose, right? And that single purpose will lay the foundation for your life and for your marriage. So number one is this. Your first understanding of your identity in Christ is right there. Look at verse 9. But you are, what? A chosen race. You are a chosen race. If you look back, even in verse 4, he already says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, what? Chosen and precious. What he's talking about here is he's, he's drawing back into Old Testament language. He's speaking here of those who shared a common ancestry, those who shared a common custom, and now Peter is applying that, that same verbiage and that same understanding now to this side of the cross in the church, and he's saying both Jew and Gentile can now understand this, that you have been chosen, that you have a new family, that you now inherit brothers and sisters in Christ. You are now part of something new. You are now part of the church. And from your rebirth, from the time that, that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are brought into the family of God and you have a new identity. And that happened because God chose you. That word for, for chosen right there, and even, even up there in verse 4, that word for chosen, it means this, to be selected out. It means this, if you're writing something down, it means this, the object of divine choice or the object of divine favor. Believer, you are the object of God's divine favor. You were handpicked by God, hand-selected by God to be a part of his family. I want to show you this because this is true first in the Old Testament. Turn back with me all the way to Deuteronomy. All the way to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Because it even talks about, well, why, why was Israel chosen? Well, why did God choose Israel? Well, it, it tells us why. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Talking about these chosen people. In verse 6, it says, Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, this is so great, for his treasured possession. 
Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord had brought you out of it with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, the king. Know, therefore, that your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his, his covenant and steadfast love with those who, those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He says, why? Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose these people? Well, it certainly wasn't because they were the mightiest and they were the noblest and they were the strongest. The single reason why God chose Israel is because he decided, he handpicked, hand-selected them and set his love upon them. There's no other reason why other than the divine choice of God. The Apostle Paul would pick up this same understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he, he would say this, this very similar type language here. He would say, for, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful, not not many were of noble birth, but here it is. But God chose. This is what God does. He chooses. And he chose what? He chose what is foolish in the world. And he did that, what? To shame the wise. Here it is. But God chose what is weak in the world to, to shame the strong. And God chose what is lowly and, and despised in the world, even things that were not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom that is from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen, God did not choose us because he saw within us something special, something unique that we had that somebody else didn't have. Oh, that's the smart one. I'm going to choose them. Oh, there's the wise one. I need that one on my team. That one's wise. I'm going to choose that one. That one's on my team. Bring him over here. No, God did the opposite. And he chose us so that we wouldn't take the credit for obeying and living for Jesus Christ. God gets all the glory and God gets all the credit in salvation. In John 15, 16, he says this, Jesus said it very clearly, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Colossians 3, 12 says that you are chosen and beloved. And understanding this lies at the heart of the whole of the Christian life. Sinclair Ferguson says that. You say, what does this have to do with our identity? What does this have to do uh, with understanding who I am? Well, let me tell you, this has everything to do with understanding who you are. This is the foundation. You have value. You have worth. God set his love upon you in a unique and special way that he did not set his love upon everyone else. It means this. It means that we are never alone. It means that we have reason 
In spite of our best efforts, God still chose me. God still set his love upon me. When I, when I found myself to be a wicked sinner, God still chose me. He set his love upon me. And this is what Peter wants to start out with as he understands and he lays his foundation here for understanding who we belong to. We first need to understand that God chose us to be a part of the family of God and immediately placed value and worth and purpose in our life. Number two is this. Not only are we a chosen race, but what else does it say? A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. In Exodus 19.6, you can, you can note that. In Exodus 19.6, it says there, describing Israel, that, that they would be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Again, Peter's drawing back on this Old Testament language and now seeing it as it, as, as it applies to the church here. And the emphasis here, is you, if you have something you underline or circle in your Bible there, the emphasis here is on that word royal. You are royalty in the kingdom of God. You are considered a, a royal priest where we don't just serve a king, we reign with the king. And we are royal priesthood because God is royalty. It's one thing to be called a priest. It's another thing to be called royalty. To be a royal priest means this, that you have full access to God. You have full access to God to, to worship him. You have full access to God to sing to him. You have full access to God to pray on behalf of family and friends. You don't need to go to a priest to do what you can do yourself. Christ is within you. You are a, a living stone, as it says in verse 5 of chapter 2. You are being built up into a spiritual house, and you have direct access to God the Father. You have full access to Him when you feel anxiety setting in in your life. You have full access to God when the hurts of the world begin to press in on your life. Why? Because you're royalty. You're part of the royal priesthood of God. You're part of his family. You come to him as father. Just the other day, I was playing um, kinetic sand. You guys played kinetic sand yet? Way better than Play-Doh playing kinetic sand with my daughter, Grace. And in the kinetic sand, I, I cut out a G, right? Obviously, of course, G for Grace, right? And she started to cut out a J, and she goes, no, 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 not a J. I'm going to do a D, because a D for daddy. And I thought, you know what? There's only four people in the world who get to call me that, right? My four kids. And I thought to myself, how special and how unique is that? When God the Father looks at his children and they said to him, Father. There's only a select few of people who get to do that. And it is intimate. And it is special and it is unique. 
not everybody in the world gets access to God the Father like the royal family of God. We get full access to him. I, I've shared this illustration to you before, but uh, when my brother played on, on the Lakers and he was back playing and, uh, with Kobe and Shaq, we'd get to go as being part of his family. We'd get to go and he'd give us these passes and these passes would say full access. And we get to walk in and we get to go down uh, underneath the stadium. We get to walk around in all these special rooms and, and we'd see all these celebrities and, and people cared about that stuff. I could care less about that stuff. I was there for the game. Let's go. It's game time. You know, and I, and I wanted to be there and I could see everything and I could walk around and I go wherever I want. And the security guard couldn't stop me. And that's the mindset we have to have when we go to God. Listen, you go to God and Michael the archangel can't stop you. The whole heavenly host can't stop you. No one can stop you from your access to God. Why? You're royalty. You're his child. You belong to him. He chose you to have direct access to him for all your cares, all your hurts, all your prayers, all your praises that you give to him. You're part of the royal priesthood. You get the full attention of God. You say, well, what does this have to do with my identity? Well, because we're part of the royal family, it means this, is that this compels us now to serve in God's kingdom. We are co-heirs reigning with God the Father, and it means this. You ready? It means this. We don't need to build earthly kingdoms. We serve a greater kingdom than any worldly kingdom. We invest ourselves in the limited days and the years that we have into God's kingdom, and we, we serve and we sacrifice for the king of kings, and that has eternal value. That has unlimited value. That has, that has soul-satisfying value than any kingdom that we could build here on earth. We give our time, we give our talent, we give our treasure to the spiritual kingdom of God as God is using us to build his kingdom here on earth. Number three is this. Not only are we a chosen race or a royal priesthood, but we're also called this a holy nation. Again, pulling back from Exodus 19.6. Talking about and applying this now to the church, and he's saying that you are a holy nation. Emphasis there on, on the word Holy. And he's talking about this, that you have been set apart and you are different from the world. He was reminding Israel that you don't act like the world. You are not like every other nation. You have been called to be separate from the world. You have been called to be distinct from the world. You are chosen, you are royal, and now you are separated from the nations in the world. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of God. You're in a position here that demands that we must not look and act like the world. The Greek word here that's, that's used for holy is actually the word that's translated for saint. Saint. Oftentimes we think of, of saints as, as those who have done all these wonderful deeds and then we, we crown them as a saint. No, because Christ is within you, you are considered a saint. Do 
you are considered one who separates themselves from the world and does not act like the world. And your identity then is, is grounded in the work of Christ within you, not in your works for Christ. Because you have been set apart from this world. And as individuals, we see ourselves as set apart from this world. As a married couple, you see this, that your marriage is different from the rest of the world. In fact, you're saying to yourself, man, we just don't fit in anywhere. Praise the Lord, you don't fit in anywhere. You're not supposed to fit in in this world. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to act differently, look differently, because you are holy, set apart for God. John Piper says this, You have been chosen and pitied and possessed by God. And therefore, you are not merely part of the world anymore. You are set apart for God. You exist for God. And since God is holy, you are holy. You share his character because he chose you, pitied you, possessed you. You are holy. Here it is. If you do not act in a holy way, you are out of character. You contradict your essence as a Christian for your identity is holiness to the Lord. That's your identity, church separated from the world. We, we don't try to blend in and mix ourselves with the world. We, we don't try to pull in the culture and say, I want to look as much like the world as possible because then I'll have the greatest influence in the world. That's not true. Don't believe that lie. The reality is this, is that you separate yourself from the world. And so the world goes, wow, that person's different. That church is different. And that attracts them to the gospel. It's true for Israel. If they would have obeyed God, they would have attracted people to, the, to himself through them. And it is true for us. When we don't act in a holy way, as John Piper says, you're acting out of character, contradicting the very person that you are in Christ. And so our identity in Christ causes us to separate ourselves from the world. Number four is this. You are, as it says there, a people for his own possession. Here we get to answer the question, whose do I belong to? You are his own possession. In Malachi 3.17, it says this, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make them my treasured possession. Treasured possession. In Titus 2.14, it says this, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And this is what we need to understand as it comes to our identity is that we, have, we are the valued personal property of God. The valued personal people of God. He set his special affection on us we are his treasured possession. We belong to him. Some translations say this, and I find this kind of, kind of interesting and funny because it's, it's uh, entirely true. Uh, it says a peculiar people. 
Remember that? For you are a peculiar people. And I say, yeah, Christians are pretty peculiar. Yeah, they are. Walk into one of their churches. They're dunking people in water. They're taking bread and juice up front. I mean, I mean it's, that's a peculiar group of people to which we say, yeah, we are. We're not like a whole lot of people, are we? And we embrace that as who we are. Same is true for your marriage. People just say, yeah, that's, marriage is different. That marriage isn't like the world. Who really wants a marriage that's like the world? Who really wants their marriage to be identified with the way the world identifies a marriage? No, what do we do? We embrace the fact that we are peculiar and we are, we are chosen by God. We are part of his family and we behave out of that understanding of who we belong to. Which leads to this. What is our purpose then? Here it is. The moment you've all been waiting for. The purpose is right there for us. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why are you chosen? Why are you royalty? Why are you holy? Why are you a people who belong to God? It all comes down to this, that you would proclaim salvation. That's the whole purpose. And once we understand our identity, once we understand that we belong to God, we are free to live our lives in an evangelistic way. We don't fear because we belong to God. We have courage because we belong to God. Our marriage is different because we belong to God. The way we live our lives is different because we belong to God. And all of that now turns to a point where we now can proclaim the excellencies of who God is. And if we're really to ponder this, if we really take this to heart, why in the world am I still here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I here? That becomes back, that comes back to your belonging. We've said this before. Why am I here? I, I, I'm, I'm here because I have this purpose in life, and that purpose in life is to proclaim who Christ is. Otherwise, I would just be shot straight up to heaven when I got saved. I mean, it'd just be like, choo, 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 just one Christian after next. Why in the world would he leave you here? Why in the world would he have you get married? It's for the same purpose. The purpose doesn't change at all. You're here to proclaim. You're, you're here uh, to, to, to proclaim the excellencies of who God is. There's a reason why you live where you live. It's not by accident. There's a reason why you're at the job that you have. It's not by accident. There's a reason why your kids are on the sports team that they're on. It's not by accident. All of it is for you to fulfill your primary purpose in life, and that is this, to proclaim salvation to them. And we have to take this to heart. In fact, the letter even pivots here to become more evangelistic. He even talks about it. It's moving down into chapter 2 and then certainly in, in chapter 3 and verse 1 where it talks about being subject to your own husbands even if they don't obey the word. Why? So they may be one without a word by the conduct of their lives. In 3.15, it talks about being able to be given a, given a defense. Why? Because of the reason that is hope that is within you. All of it shifts now to being this, this proclamation. There's two types of proclamation I want to point out here. Number one is the external proclamation, and that is this. When it says proclamation or declaration, it means this, to make something known. 
Our role is to make something known. What are we making known? We're making known salvation. We're speaking of here the excellencies. What does it talk about? The powerful and heroic deeds of Christ as an ambassador to Christ. You want to tell someone the gospel who has never known it before. You're, you're speaking of the virtues of God and the promises of God and the, the blessings of God. And our, our lives radiate the marvelous light of who God is. And listen, this sets then the foundation for your marriage. I, I, I had a, a meal with someone. I can't remember how long ago it was. I but they were asking me, and we were talking about marriage, and they, they were about, they want to get married, and I was like, hey, why do you want to get married? Like, this is a fair question, right? You want to get married? Why do you want to get married? Oh, I'm in love. That's why I want to get married. You know what? They love me, too, and because two people love each other, we, we should get married. And, and I was like, okay, that's good. Love is definitely at the top of the list. Oh, well, we also want to have a family. Okay, that's great. I, I hope the Lord blesses you with a family. Oh, but, but we, we, we fulfill one another, and, and they're everything I'm not, and, you know, and all these things. And, and I was thinking to myself uh, that, uh, that we don't really understand what it means to get married. We don't really understand the purpose of marriage. And the purpose of marriage is this, and you want to write this down. You want to get married because you believe that you will be able to glorify God better together than you would being single. And when two Christians come together and they take to heart who they belong to, then their purpose is obvious. We're together because we believe that together we can glorify God better than we could if we were apart. And our marriage is surrounded around this purpose because we know who we belong to. And that purpose now becomes not about this world and what the world wants our marriage to be. It becomes about an eternal value and an eternal worth. It becomes about the glory of God. We believe that we can shine a brighter light together in our communities and in our families and in our schools and in our church better than we could as individuals. And two people take this and they say, let's do this together and let's advertise Christ together in the way that we are married. And so marriage is not about your happiness. Marriage is not about your spouse making you happy. Marriage is not about your spouse serving you all the time. Marriage is not about your comfort. Your marriage is about the glory of God and putting God on display through it. Which means this, and the gloves are coming off. All right, it means this. The way you love your spouse matters for the gospel. The way you serve your spouse matters for the gospel. The way you raise your kid matters, not so that they like you and love you, but that they love Jesus Christ. It matters for the gospel. The way you prioritize your marriage, all of it matters 
for the gospel and your neighbors should be looking at you going, why in the world do you prioritize those things? What kind of family wakes up on a Sunday morning and goes to church? The Seahawks play at 10 o'clock. What are you thinking? What kind of family prioritizes giving to the church? What kind of family prioritizes serving in the church? A family that understands they belong to God. And that attracts people to the gospel. That's the external proclamation. There's something else I want to show you. There's an internal proclamation. This word here for proclaim, it's used in Psalm 40 in verse 5. In Psalm 40 in verse 5, it's the choir master speaking here as David wrote this to the choir master. He'd write write this to them and he would use this word to proclaim the works of God, listen, within the church, within the temple. So when we proclaim, it's not just outside the church, it's inside the church as well. We get to, every Sunday, proclaim salvation to those sitting around you. Most of the time when we come to church, we're not thinking of proclaiming salvation to those sitting around us. But that's what this is talking about. You get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light on Sunday morning when you come to church. Listen, friendly fire. And we can't think for a moment that we're going to do a great job out there if we're not doing a great job in here. If we come here thinking, I need everybody to serve me, what are you going to do out there? Thinking the exact same thing. And so we proclaim the gospel right here within the church. People walk in and they see see in here and they go, you know what? This place is different. These people aren't about being served. These people are about serving one another. In fact, I'm having a hard time signing up to serve somewhere because all the slots are taken. What is this place? You're proclaiming that you have been brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Over the last three years, really since that wonderful year of 2020 that happened, I've had multiple conversations with people in my office, for lunch, for coffee, we've been in, in the homes of people who have been hurting. Homes of people that, uh, that need encouragement, that need love. And people who have said this to me, I am so thankful for the church. Because on Sundays, I get to go and I get to be around people who are strong because I'm weak. I get to be around people who want to encourage me because I'm discouraged. And I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that, and it it brings such joy to my heart of, of what we're doing here at Redemption Hill Bible Church. And I want to implore you and encourage you to keep on doing. When you come to church, you get to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ, which means this church. 
How you sing matters. How you serve matters. How you welcome people matters. How you follow up and love people, it matters. It all matters for the gospel. And you fulfill your purpose as individuals and as a married couple when your family comes to church. And yeah, you may bring them to church and your three-year-old's got his one button off, right? And, and, and you just threw them into the minivan to get here. I've, look, I got four of my own. I get it, but here's the difference. Aaron did all the work. I was at church at six in the morning. And we found a way to come. And to make sure that our family would do everything it can to proclaim salvation to the rest of the church. Because you don't know when that person's going to walk in and is hurting. And you look at them and go, wow, they look, they look fine. They look just fine. In fact, they look like everybody else. But in their heart, they're hurting. And if our mindset isn't this, I'm going to fulfill my purpose in my life and for our marriage right here in church, we miss out on an opportunity. And so he says, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're a people of God's own possession. Why? So that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light and he goes on, he says, you weren't my people, but now you are my people. You didn't have mercy, but now you do have mercy. Listen, don't underestimate the impact of the way you bring joy to the church. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate your attitude as you come to church. You are declaring what Jesus did for you. And listen, all of it matters for the gospel. And we become an encouragement to all of those around us. And what a privilege it is, right, church? And what a privilege it is to be used of Almighty God. Is there anything better in life than to be used by God for the eternal? Well, next week I want to take a look at our sufficiency in Christ in these ways. There's one verse that I just want to close with, and then we'll sing and be done. It's this, in Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is that the glory of God would rest upon us and that we get to display that to the watching world. Lord, thank you for this reminder of who we belong to and how that reminder of who we belong to informs then our purpose in our lives and in our marriages. Lord, would you help us to make the changes in life that we need to change to do a better job of this? Would you give us the courage to make the changes that we need to prioritize in the right way, not for ourselves, but for the gospel? It all comes back to you. May we take these things not just to mind, but to heart for radical transformation 
What a privilege it is to be a child of God. And may we walk now in obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen.